Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Hey there, this is Nicole, the host and producer of the Found Down Podcast. Well, guess what? You all know this, fellow nurses, that it's about to be Nurses Week it's May 6th through May 12th. And um, I just w- I want you to know I appreciate you. Uh, we've certainly been through a pretty hard time. And I know people are going to want to show us rec- recognition. And some of it's going to fall flat. And some of it's going to feel great. But just know that um, you are appreciated. You're awesome. I've reached out to the community. And I'm getting some gifts together. So please, I'm going to be doing some giveaways. So please check out my Instagram at found down podcast. I'll be doing giveaways, um, the entire time of nurses week. So yeah, I, I can't wait to, um, give some cool shit away. And as a thanks, as a way to give thanks. And you know, our sponsor, the show, Nicole Kupchik, she always has a bunch of stuff to give away. So please follow along on her Instagram. Um, at Nicole Kupchik. But um, yeah, she's a huge supporter of the show and has a lot of products out there that are super helpful for our practice as nurses. And she's all about empowering nurses to learn more and take ownership of their practice. So check out her stuff at NicoleKupchikConsulting.com. You can get 20% off with the coupon code FOUNDDOWN20. But to be honest, I think she's, you know, Historically, she gives away a lot of stuff on Nurses Week. So go and check out her Instagram at Nicole Kupchik. And today I'm doing an encore airing of one of my favorite episodes of this show. That was with Susan Collins, who we talk about what trauma season is. She's such a delight and so funny. And she's been on the show twice now. Um, but anyway, I'm just I I pull I'm pulling this one from the archives. I've got a lot of stuff I'm working on for the podcast, but for now, enjoy this super awesome episode with my dear friend and nursing alum, Susan Collins. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Hi, this is Nicole with the Found Down Podcast, and today we're talking to Susan Collins. She's an amazing nurse with over a decade of experience working in a trauma ICU at a level one trauma center. She currently holds her master's in nursing. She's a magnet program coordinator. And um, today we're going to talk a little bit about what trauma season means, maybe some top risky activities to avoid this summer, 
And also, we're going to talk about the importance of storytelling in nursing. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Nicole. It's really cool to see you again and to get to hang out a little bit. Yeah, it's so great to see your face. Susan and I were colleagues back when we went to nursing school, and she just was full of enthusiasm and energy and uh, comedy, let's just be honest. Um, She always kept us laughing. But um, Susan, I thought I would ask you a little bit about... um, you did this project when you were in nurse in your master's program in nursing. Tell me a little bit about what you learned about storytelling in nursing and, and why it's important, and maybe for you personally. Cool. Yeah. So in the in the master's program, we had this really wild class. It was called ethics and aesthetics, and we had to do this one particular project about art or some. We had to do some sort of visual or performative thing for a our cohort, which was only like 10 of us. So it wasn't ridiculously, um, uh, it wasn't like a large audience, but I didn't have any, I'm not a singer. I'm not a painter. I didn't want to do like, but I thought, you know, I grew up in a family of ridiculously outgoing and one-upmanship sort of people where you came to the dinner table with your best and try to make (laughs) each other laugh. And and then that kind of evolved and I became a firefighter at age 20 and I was the only girl in every single scenario. And in order to win people over, you can make people laugh. It's just, it's so, in, it just ingrate, it, it ingratiates you to other people and it just breaks the ice. And so anyway, being sort of silly and telling tall tales, the taller, the better. And we, we always have a saying in the fire, in the fire station is, um, you know, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. (laughs) I thought about this, like how, you know, this is performative, you know, this, this really, you know, part, and part of the fun fire culture. And this is, again, this runs in my DNA. I'm a, I'm a firefighter that became a nurse for those of you who don't know, and I talk about it all the time. You could do a drinking game and you'd end up way shithouse drunk every time I refer to when I was a firefighter because <laughs> it is peppers my life. But one of the most important um, signs that your story was the best is when it came back to you because somebody stole your story and inserted them as the participant. It was like, what? You saw that guy on the motorcycle whose leg was completely like ripped over their head? No, that actually was me, but nice try, (laughs) you know? So when these things come full circle, so a circuitous way of saying that I thought it would be the best way possible to represent who I was in this class of master's prepared students or master's students. And one of the things that, you know, even beyond the clinical importance of storytelling and getting people to tell, it's not you telling the story, it's you as a nurse eliciting um, responses and, and getting to know your people and getting to know your patients. It obviously requires time, which is short on everyone's list as a nurse. But if you have the time it can do a lot of things all at once. You get an idea of their mental well-being, what mm-hmm. what sort of literacy level, intellect. So if you have to teach some complex wound care, you know about where they are. And honestly, everyone likes to say like you have to meet people where they're at. Well, you can't know where someone is if you don't know really where they've been. Mm. And so I love, you know, Drug addict stories are amazing. And in the trauma center, we had lots and lots of uh, trauma and lots and lots of wounds that were you know, brought on by a lot of addiction problems. Yeah. Those were some of the most fascinating 
storytellers that I've ever been involved in. So to me, storytelling is not just connection, but relationship building in addition to really good clinical fact finding. And it, it's so much more than, than just um, talking and, and telling somebody telling a tall tale, but it's about cultural relevance. It's about, um, you know, especially now today with this Black Lives Matter, you know, huge renaissance of, of racial justice that's happening. And mm-hmm. we as white people really just need to shut the fuck up mm-hmm. and let our Black friends tell their stories. Mm-hmm. Just listen. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, for those of us who like to talk, the hardest part. So I did this storytelling thing where I just talked about how important it was, essentially the same that I had doing you know, here in this class in my master's program. And it, and it went over really, really well. And I think it's a lost art or an art that we just simply don't have enough time for in my mind. Mm. I know everybody loves a good story. I've never, I didn't really think when you told me that you had studied this for your class or this was a project of yours. I was imagining it from like colleague to colleague, but it's fascinating talking about it from like a, from a fact-finding mission when you're when you're working with your patients, and I think it just really builds um, authentic relationships with your patients when you can tell like a story of your own or have them tell you their stories. Um, what? Wow, that's really awesome, Susan. Susan, yeah. <laughs> do, what did you um, when you did this? Were you at all thinking about like what does storytelling do for colleagues at all? You mean colleague to colleague storytelling? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's so much power in that. It's an empathetic move. If you're precepting someone and they're like devastated over a med error, that's just, that's the opportunity to really connect and to really promote that empathetic, like sitting in that, you you remember that? I, I do circuitous talking. I'm really sorry. But do you remember there was a video out not long ago about what empathy means and getting into that hole with someone as opposed to shouting down like, you look really, it looks really bad yeah. down there. That's to me what it is. When you share vulnerabilities and weaknesses in a story form or not to one-up anybody, but certainly there is a component of, hey, I've been there and this is what happened to me. And these are the ways I moved through this awful experience. Um, it's so much more than just, you know, trying to retell an event, but it's more about making it okay to really suck or making yeah. it okay to be new or to be proud of yourself, to really like, hey, let's hear more about, you know, that, that was a great catch you know, tell me more about that. This, there's so many good things about getting people to open up about their lives or their experiences or their fears, their hurdles, culturally with our patients, culturally with each other. You know, I've really, um, my mind has been expanded beyond what I can even articulate working with nurses from different parts of the world, different religious beliefs. Um, how do they, how do you navigate a 12 hour shift and have to pray several times a day or mm-hmm. fasting and, you know, working these long hours, like yeah, you Ramadan. Do, mm-hmm. being just, just innately curious about people really draws those stories out. Mm. It provides a lot of opportunity. Like you said, um, to learn and grow from one another. I was just thinking about how as a preceptor, I always would share my own med error stories and how important that is because I mean, 
I, I remember initially, I think I made a med error and I told my boss at the time, I was like, you can fire me. It's okay. <laughs> Holy <laughs> smokes. That escalated. <laughs> and she was like, um, I'm, I'd have to, if I fired everybody for making a mistake, then there'd be nobody here. Um, we, oddly, we work, we're humans working with humans. And so we're going to have some level of error at some point. And I will do a, probably a, an episode about med errors and, and all, and all of that. And for those of you who are listening, who are non-healthcare providers, you know, yeah, we nurses make mistakes. Yeah. It's not um, if, but when, and yeah. you know, that's the truth of it all for sure. So, um, <laughs> I, when I started this podcast, I was like, at one point, I think I had like a, in the shower sort of moment where I was like, oh, I have to talk to Susan because <laughs> I really want to talk about trauma season and what is it? And, and, uh, because I've, I'm, I've been in medicine ICU for, uh, over a decade with surgical ICU and now an oncology ICU. And, um, I'm fascinated by trauma um, I've thought oftentimes I wanted to pop over to the TICU, um, but I never made it. But um, I, can you share with us, what is trauma season? What does that mean? It's essentially a really long way of saying just summer. You know, we're a level one trauma center at Harborview. We work, um, you know, on the, on the ninth floor and I, I don't work there anymore. I, I transitioned out uh, in January of 2019. So my heart is always there though. And we serve five states, you know, Washington, Alaska, Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming. And when the days get longer, the weather gets better, not just here in Seattle, but in that whole, we, that's a quarter of the landmass of the United States, geographically wow. speaking. So, and they all fly here. And I just will say that, uh, like I, I mentioned earlier that you may hear some helicopters because my office is really close to the helipad, but it's essentially the, this season of being outside, everyone's feeling free of, you know, being in the, in the gloom and doom of winter, you pop open the cold ones, you get behind the wheel of a car. Um, it's also industry too. There's a lot more happening outdoors, loggers from Alaska, people, you know, piloting their little cub planes, you know, doing these crazy takeoff and landings in the rural area because the weather's better. And those sorts of things happen. ATVs, swimming, drowning. I mean, when the weather gets nice, people just um, do more and they're out of the, of the safety of their homes. And usually there's alcohol involved. It's the, it's the hold my beer and watch this show a lot of times. Um, and in the, again, with the longer days and the, in the sun setting so late, especially here in the more Northern part of the United States, the sun doesn't set till nine 30. And it's just, uh, it's ripe with opportunities for people to get really, really hurt. And mm. yeah, so we are starting it, you know, and it's tricky when it coincides with July, which as you know, is when all <laughs> the new doctors decide or not decide, they graduate and then they move into their new roles as residents. And it's a really tricky combination some days, to be honest with you. Yes. Yeah. July. That sounds like <laughs> a very interesting time. Um, I was just thinking my husband, he had a tibial pl plateau fracture um, about, I don't know, 10, I don't know, seven years ago or something. I remember that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And um, he basically 
he took a p- passenger flight home. They gave him like a whole, whole whatever road to himself. And we went to the, the ER at Harborview, which as you know, is it's basically full of the top evening of the evening news. And yeah. we were obviously behind curtains, but not out of earshot from like, Oh, just all kinds of things, boat flippings and all, all of it. Um, and it just was like, Oh boy. Woo. And they all probably, a lot of people just probably go up, go to surgery and then end up on the TICU. Yeah, there's, it, it is really, I remember driving into work in the mornings and just listening to Como AM radio and being like, what's, what's hitting our, you know, what am I going to walk into? And, you know, nowadays with the stuff with the, um, the chop and, you know, I just ran into, um, Dr. Kushgari downstairs in the, in the, um, cafeteria this morning and the shootings are, you know, on and pop in as they, as the kids say that, you know, they're filling up again and how just, yeah, this is the place for the whole, everybody's worst case scenario, like somebody rolling their car, getting flipped out of it because they weren't wearing a seatbelt and then rolling down another hundred foot embankment. Like, couldn't it just stop with the rollover? Oh no. You know, <laughs> it's just oh. going to add to it or, you know, just, I, I remember, you know, just, you're hearing things like what, what in report sitting in report at seven in the morning with my, you know, eight or 10 colleagues getting report from night shift going, you just can't make this stuff up. You just cannot. One, I remember this one particular, um, there were two people, a man and a woman that were in a terrible motorcycle accident and they were both, this is not funny, but I'm, it's just so preposterous that I had to kind of giggle there. The way they did their, motorcycle rides was they would get drunk just beyond drunk and all she would get the helmet because there's only one helmet oh jesus and sit behind him and her job her job according to the friends that came to visit was to hold his head so that when he got the nods on the motorcycle that she would (gasps) be able to shake him and wake him up yeah both of these people were in our trauma unit and I honestly don't think both of them survived. I think one, at least one of them passed away, but it's just like, and this is not just a one-time thing that this is their pattern of behavior. (laughs) We're just like, what? Social Darwinism. It's all just right. It's all condensed. And it makes you really paranoid as a human being. Sometimes like, I don't want to ride my bike on the road. I don't want to get on an ATV. I don't want to ride a horse. I will never get into a helicopter. (laughs) just the list of things that I'm willing to do right now. I was as a 47 year old woman who's, you know, been in EMS since 1991. You're lucky I'm not rolling in here in hockey gear, like to be totally honest (laughs) with you. (laughs) Bubble wrapped. (laughs) I'm not leaving my house. Oh my God. At least excuse your way of thinking of things for sure. Oh my God. I bet. (laughs) uh, Oh, I I was going to say, what is the well, it's probably too dark, but I was like the colloquial term in nursing for people who ride motorcycles is like donor cycle, right? Yeah. 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 Or ugh, yeah, not riding a motorcycle does not come out, come without risk. And you ugh. know, I saw this cool show. Um, it's a, it was all about the the brain and how each episode was a different sense. One was vision. One was obviously senses, you know, senses, but the, they talked a lot about why um, motorcycles are so dangerous, and, and it turned 
it turns out, and this is like a fascinating fact, when you're looking as a driver, you are looking and expecting to see cars. And what's troublesome is your brain isn't looking for a car or isn't looking for a motorcycle. And so when you're doing your quick look over your shoulder to make your lane change, that's the kicker is our brains are, are skipping steps in some, to some, to some extent. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, my husband, so he's a great guy, super smart man. We've been married forever. I told him the one deal breaker, cheat on me. I don't care. Like we figured this out. <laughs> like don't, do your thing, but don't ever get a motorcycle. Cause I will f- huck this ring at you and walk out with our daughter. There's no way I'm allowing a motorcycle. There's no way, no way. No I, way. <laughs> I once rode on the back of a motorcycle a long time ago on a crotch rocket with a friend of mine. And he described motorcycle riding as you always have to pretend that everyone is out to fucking kill you and that nobody can see you. So just, you just always have to be on the offense or on the defense all the time. Um, so I just want to get back to when you were talking about things that you would, you'll never do. What are some things that based on your experience in the working in the trauma I see that people shouldn't do? Oh, there's a long list. I'll try to keep it to like the top, you know, (laughs) the most frequently like avoidable things to do. Um, Well, first of all, COVID, everyone wear your mask, be social distance. Don't be dumb. We're not out of the woods yet. Seriously. We're seeing an uptick in the Eastern part of the state. We're now taking more patients. Just, I want my child to go back to school. So everyone just put the fucking mask on and be (laughs) adults about this and stop being giant toddlers. I mean, really? Okay. That's out of the way. But honestly, the, the thing that, that we see kill people in the fall and in the spring, mostly is people on ladders. Don't get on, don't, don't do your own gutters. Don't get on your roof. Hire that out. Hire it. If you're, if you're, if you have a home and you need to do home maintenance, don't, you're not that good. You're just not that good. <laughs> you're not, you're not sassy. You're probably over 50. You're probably a guy. And guess what? You're probably on blood thinners. And you know what? That's a terrible idea, sir. It's terrible. <sighs> so, and I speak in the male sense because you know how this is all going to go, right? I like, do. You know, it's, it's that, it's that group. Helmets and seatbelts, wear them. Um, drink but don't drive. We have Uber now. When I was uh, when I was a younger person and and drinking, we didn't have those options. We had cabs which are hard to come by. So, there's no excuses. Um childproof your windows, please. You got little kiddos in the in the warmer weather and you're going to oh, open up your windows gosh. and those kids are going to push on those screens and my friends in the pediatric ICU are not they're not in love with those patients. They don't want to see those patients. And they God. do every single dingle year, Nicole, every single year, every time. You can't, we just, it's just crazy. So, <gasps> oh, those poor kids. I know. I, oh. I can't be a pediatric nurse. I just, no. it just hurts my soul. Well, no. what's left of my soul? It hurts. <laughs> it hurts it. I'm, there's a soul in there, Susan. <laughs> ATVs are bad, you guys. Don't get on an ATV. Don't don't think you can just get on it and know how to ride it. Go slow. If you're going to get out there and, and whip around, start out slow. And don't go near the edges of cliffs and stupid things like that. Um, if you don't I know how to swim, get 
Oh, was that? Say, oh I just want to see the view. Yeah. I just want to ride up right by and see the view. Don't do it. No, because you're going to forget which is the gas and which is the brake, and then we'll see you. Oh, oh motherfucker. <laughs> a lot of metal in your legs and terrible, terrible things. Um, yeah. What was I going to say? Oh, if you can't swim, don't swim. Please. There's that. Um, we, yeah, we are really seeing a lot of that now. Um, I, I, I don't want to do any kind of generalization, but a lot of our f- immigrant families and friends may have not grown up learning to swim. And then they go to lakes and we're just surrounded by water here, or they get in boats and want to just take a quick dip with their friends. And man, you got to learn how to swim. Otherwise, you know, wear a life jacket, you know, and, and being, I was part of the inaugural ECMO, which is um, extracorporeal um, membrane oxygenator. So heart and lung that bypass machine that's really being um, highlighted a lot in this COVID stuff, we would see a lot of uh, drowning or, you know, those sorts of patients that we would try to salvage with this last ditch effort. And, you know, one we did and one we did not a couple years Mm. ago. So, yeah. So just, um, those are my highlights. Those are the, those are the, the hit, the hit parade of no ladders, just stay off your roofs, really. (laughs) God. You don't want a T-top crane, you know, taking your bones out of your skull to let your brains swell. Don't do it. Don't. Oh, (laughs) I'm laughing at that. That's awful. Terrible. mm, There is something to be said about gallows humor as nurses who see the worst of the worst. And we, we really do see the worst of the worst on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. humor is a coping mechanism. We, I mean, if, if let's say it's not a laughing matter, but just the, it's just absurd, the absurdity of it. I think you were sort of getting at, and, uh, we're not, we're not inhuman, inhuman or inhumane here. We're just having to laugh at the, at the absurdity yeah. of it. Like yeah. you thought it was okay to try to jump a moving train on your motorcycle. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we are. You know, and it's just, you just left, there's such a huge file in my brain that, mm-hmm. I, that I have to put like the unexplainable, like a lot of stuff goes in there. Like some of the real tragic stuff, like how could somebody be so cruel to do this to another human being? Right. That stuff has to, I have to file that away. And then there's like the, what? what went through your brain decision-making file? Like that's also there too. Just, it just, it, it is fascinating to see the spectrum of humanity and some are really smart people, but making really dumb choices. Mm, I mean, it's crazy to think like a split second decision can just absolutely change your life. Yeah. I'm so afraid of riding my bike too, just because like, it's much like motorcycles just out for a nice ride and the next thing you know some driver's distracted or looks at their phone that's ringing and the steering wheel goes over and man yeah we've just I just would get home and just hug my people just be like uh this day was <laughs> this day was rough you know yeah it's a rough one can I ask you this is something we didn't talk about discussing can I ask you how how did you cope when you had really really awful days or yeah I think, you know, because I grew up in the fire service, I was 18 years old as a volunteer and I got hired as a 20 year old infant, basically. I think 
um, it was not okay to talk about those things. It was not in the day. Those were, this was before really we knew how much PTSD firefighters went through. And I remember, um, and I'm going to tell you this because it's been a long time and that it's, it's just, you know, I'll tell you a, a story that's not a HIPAA violation, but a woman, um, when I was a brand new paramedic firefighter, she was mentally ill and lit herself on fire. And, you know, it was so horrifying to come upon her still alive and making these decisions that I had to make, landing a helicopter in the middle of an intersection, trying to start a tiny little 22 gauge IV in her hand, which was one of the only things that was not affected. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I just loaded her up with morphine. And so that, you know, we just carry these sort of ghosts with us. Yeah. One of the first things that one of my, um, preceptors and my partners um, ever taught me was that you have to create a space in your brain for things that you cannot explain again like this file folder and that you are only trying to make things better that it doesn't necessarily take away the horror it doesn't take away the fact that I walk around with at least 50 ghosts of people that either because of a decision I made and I just didn't, it didn't go well or through no fault of my own. It was just a horrible circumstance Mm. An airway that I lost in the trauma unit that just, it just was a terrible situation or a, you know, a a tube I couldn't get in the field as a medic. That was just, it was just, it, it weighs on you. But I think if we prepare ourselves every day as nurses or as healthcare providers or as even as human beings to go out and intentionally recognize that you are only there to put good into the situation. Your only, your only job is to interject good. Sometimes all it is, is again, tying it back in is just listening to a story. Sometimes you're just giving somebody an opportunity to, to connect. Sometimes all you do is give them pain medicine and that's the good you do, but you have to find the good that you've offered whatever situation you find yourself in. There's something about, I was listening to something about having how to build resiliency. And one of the things is making meaning of, of that experience. Like for us right now in the time of COVID, um, and there's so much outside of our control. I mean, yes, things have settled down in the Seattle area, but when things were really, really, when we had so much anxiety about what we didn't know, what was going to come and, you know, how bad was the surge going to be and all of that, like, for us to try to, to try to decisionally and intentionally try to find meaning in what we do. And that, like you said, we, we are, if we can create good and um, just be like a vessel for um, the best opportunity and outcome as possible. Like, I think that is absolutely so meaningful. I, I'm gosh, Susan, you're just, it's incredible to, to hear you talk about to talk about that for sure. Yeah. I, I just feel like I, I, we owe it as nurses to the younger group coming in and to the newer folks coming through. And even, even to our colleagues that are maybe even more experienced than us to share a space that feels authentic and the work that you're doing on resiliency is so important and it's so authentic and organic and it's not, staged or contrived, but it's an opportunity, you know, providing me an opportunity to come on your podcast and talk a little bit about 
who I am, that builds resiliency in me. It makes me feel valued and, you know, and it's, and it's really meaningful to get, um, to get an opportunity to say the things that maybe I hadn't had a chance to say. So I wanted to thank you for, I want to thank you for this invite. And um, I think, yeah, there's a lot of interesting work to be done in terms of nursing mental health and especially mm-hmm. with the things that um, scar us, whether or not yeah. it's, you know, obvious or not. Um, I know our COVID unit, the ICU, and I did the COVID ops um, role this last couple months, um, working with some of those folks in the COVID ICU down, which is our neuro ICU, which they converted. It, it, it tears your soul apart to see some of the things that had to happen and some of the decisions that had to be made about, you know, saying goodbye via iPad or, you know, geez, you know, just these things that just, who, who thought who it's just new and unusual ways to torment our own souls. It's really tough, but it's what we do. You know, it's who we are. We're, we're in it to win it and we're there to do the best we can. And as long, again, this, this all ties into going in with the sole purpose of just adding something positive, whatever that is, you know, you made somebody laugh, you brought someone coffee, you, you helped your coworkers out. Cause some days you just don't feel like a good nurse at all. Anyway, you're just overwhelmed. You don't have enough staff. You're a crap nurse to the two, two patients that you have. You're, you're barely like, you know, right. And you got to find the good and, and congratulate yourself on the way home for showing the fuck up. You showed up. That's good. You were there. You didn't leave your people shorthanded, you know, some days that's it. Some days that's really all you can do. Well, Susan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for touching on some of your ghosts. Uh, Also, thanks for making me laugh and hopefully some other people out there laugh. I hope to have you on the show some other time. Um, I'm so excited for what you're up to. It's great to see your face again. And um, gosh, just keep, keep bringing that awesomeness. I'm sure that you're spreading it all over the place. Um, Just keep showing up as your awesome self. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for having me on and all the best to you. Stay in touch. I would love to come back at, at any point and I'll try to swear a lot less. Sorry. I'll no, <laughs> no, 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 please. I, I'm all for the cussing. So it's all good. <laughs> Fucking A. Okay. Woo. Woo. Okay. Bye. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.